Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. Enjoy a drink with us while we tell you some wild stories of the brutal and bizarre variety. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we like to end our time with a chaser. So Declan, what is the story that you've got for us today? Today, I'm going to be talking about the Green River Killer. Oh, shit. That's big. Yeah, it's a big... Yeah, you'll see. Okay. <laughs> for everyone listening. <laughs> so what are you All telling right. us about today, Mom? Well, before I get into that, I want to do a quick shout out to the podcast Murder My Dude. Love that name. It's hosted by Jackson Wells and BP Burke. They cover true crime, but they put a little bit of a comedy spin on it. So there's some humor in there too. And uh, each episode, they have different sections of it. So they have a section that is current true crime news. So they talk about true crime stuff that's in the news right now, and they talk about it quick. And, uh, and they finish the episode with a section called, Who Died the Worst? Hmm. And they, they discuss different weird ways that somebody died, and then they decide which one is the worst way. It's really <laughs> funny. Um, it's just a lot of wild stuff that they end up talking about, but... Um, again, that is the Murder My Dude podcast, so you should go check them out. Sweet. Sounds like yeah. a good show. Yeah, it definitely is. Well, I am going to tell you a story about – it's a local story, so more Southern Oregon local stories, everyone. Sorry, <laughs> but it's a really good one, and it's very timely because it happened in December – and we'll we'll talk Sorry. more about it, but the um, drink that I am doing today is called the Santa Hat. Mm, very festive. Yes, yes. And if you haven't seen pictures of the drink, everyone, you can go to our Instagram, which is brutal underscore bizarre underscore boozy. And there's a picture of the drink and why it's called the Santa hat, because it kind of looks like a, an inverted Santa hat. So it is made up of three tablespoons of powdered sugar, one teaspoon of water. Don't worry, that stuff is going into, uh, it's the accessory to the drink. It's not actually in the drink. As well as a quarter cup sweetened flaked coconut. Those are for the garnishment of the drink, which I actually did today because it had to be done because it was fun. Uh, the drink itself is actually made of three ounces of red cranberry juice, one ounce of Malibu rum, and a half ounce of grenadine. And you garnish it as well as the coconut rim with a candy cane. So here are the instructions. You mix the powdered sugar and water together to make a syrup. 
you fold a paper towel into a four-inch square. Please don't get a measuring device out <laughs> because it's not that important. <laughs> you put the uh, paper towel in a saucer and spread the powdered sugar syrup on top of that towel because you're going to dip your drink into that syrup. You rim the martini glass with that sugar syrup mixture, and then you dip that into the coconut so that you can get the edge of your glass rimmed like this in coconut. Ooh. Yes. Uh, then you, after you've prepared your glass... You can add the cranberry juice, Malibu rum, and grenadine to, into a cocktail shaker and shake with ice. Then you strain that into the martini glass that you have prepared and garnish with a candy cane. So, Did you put the candy cane in yours? I did not put it in. I put it on the top. I was a little... Honestly, I was a little worried about putting <laughs> peppermint in a coconut <laughs> drink. I, to know. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't do, do any I... of the garnishes because I was feeling lazy, but I wanted to know if the peppermint would make it taste weird. <laughs> it sounds like it'd make I... it taste weird. I would think so. I did not bring the peppermint stick with me. I should have. Mm. I made it in the kitchen and then I brought the the drink into the recording room. So, <laughs> okay. All right, Let's give it a try. It. Okay. It does look like a Santa you love... hat. It does. Yours when looks you more like the... mine, but. <laughs> right. I had a really hard time getting the coconut to stick to the damn glass. And I ended up yeah. like just. I was wondering. It didn't stick. I was wondering how that was going to go with just basically frosting. Well, it was a sugar syrup. It didn't work well. Yeah. It didn't I... work well. It didn't make it sticky as well as it should have. So anyway, here we go. Mm, that's really good. Very sweet. Well, okay. I think I would prefer it without, I love coconut. Don't get me wrong, but I don't like having to chew it. Yeah. It's getting in the way. I can't really taste a drink because all I taste is the sweetened coconut. Maybe that'd be good for like half of the cup. So it looks like a Santa yeah. hat on one side and then you drink yeah. from the other side. I have all the ingredients on the table behind me that I used. So nice. anybody watching on YouTube can go check it out. Right. But um, I like the flavor of the drink, though. I just wish I didn't have to chew it. Not a big fan yeah, of chewing drinks- my drinks. Drink's really good. I'm glad I skipped out on the garnish. Uh, yeah. Even though it probably yeah. made it look way cooler. This is just like a red drink, but it, it does good. make it look cool. Yeah. But I got to get past the coconut. Oh, whatever. It was fun. It was for a reason. Yeah. So normally I give you fun facts and history of the drink or a component of the drink. But today I went a little off kilter and I did fun facts about candy canes because they are the garnish. And I thought that would be cooler to do. So I did fun facts about candy canes. So 
the uh, candy cane history, if you will, uh, was obtained from the National Confectioners Association. They say that candy canes are the number one non-chocolate candy sold in December. Most of those sales, yes, with most of those sales of candy canes occurring in the second week of December, and possibly that is due to many people decorating their Christmas trees at that time and using the candy canes on the trees. I don't know. Anyway. Legend says that candy canes were created in 1670 by a German choir master who gave them out to young singers in his choir to keep them quiet during a Christmas ceremony. So if you want people to be quiet, give them a candy cane stuffed full of sugar because that will work. I guess. I don't know. You got to suck on it. So they're probably not talking while they're sucking on it. Well, that's true. That's true. But then they're all jacked up on sugar. So I don't know. The legend says that he bent the candy into a hook shape to make them look more festive, like a shepherd's hook for the Christmas season. And that's where Mm. they got the traditional shape. Candy canes were introduced uh, in the U.S. in 1847, but were only white at that time. They didn't have the red and white striping uh, when they were brought here. They didn't get the red and white striping until manufacturing became automated around 200 years after they were first invented. The Confectioners Association conducted a survey on the proper way to eat a candy cane. So, Declan, do you eat a candy cane hook first at the curved end or the straight end first? Straight end first, obviously. I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> so, according to their poll, 72% agree with you and say they start at the straight end of the candy cane, while 28% disagree and start at the curved end of the candy cane. No, what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to eat the straight end until you get it like the same length as the curved part. And then you put it inside your front teeth like a retainer and you suck on it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's the correct way to eat a candy cane. All right. In case you didn't know. I did not know. Thank you for educating me. (laughs) That's fantastic. All right. So, are you ready for my story that goes with our Santa hat drink? Yes, I am. Okay. So, this is a story that happened uh, in December in Klamath Falls, right outside of Klamath Falls, our lovely little hometown. Uh, So, sorry to anyone who's sick of these little known stories, but it was, we were trying to find something that was Christmassy themed because I'm wearing my really bad, ugly Christmas themed, ugly Christmas sweater. 
just for this recording. I'm wearing prototype merch for this recording. Oh, nice. Uh, still nice. in the We're working on it. Everyone stay tuned. But yeah. Yeah, I'm going to iron out the kinks here soon. <laughs> stay tuned. All right. So, it happened in December, uh, just before Christmas in 1989. Klamath Falls, Oregon is a small town in southern Oregon, like I've told you guys before. Uh, this is, uh, you know, not very many people know about our little town, but that's fine. Many decades, the uh, commerce was due to logging in this area. Logging is currently not a large financial financial contributor now, but it was back in the 1980s. The fact that it was a logging community and that there were loggers in the area was crucial to the outcome of the circumstances of this story. Without the loggers, this story would likely have a much different and horrific ending. This is the story of Baby Benjamin. Oh. December can be full of brutal weather around Klamath Falls. You know, right, Declan? It's not very nice sometimes. It's fucked up there some some years. Yeah. Uh, some of that is due to the fact that we have a large lake, and it seems to kind of generate its own weather patterns with increased snow and wind in some areas around town. So areas close to the lake tend to get a little bit more snow a lot of times than areas farther away from the lake in town. In December, uh, on December 7th, of 1989, the weather was below freezing and a cold mist was in the air, not something most people would want to be outside in. Two men, Ken Murdoch and Ken Leppert, were mechanics working for a logging company. They were leaving a logging site about 20 miles northwest of town. The area was adjacent to Klamath Lake, the large lake I mentioned before. This is a remote area with no houses or businesses within many miles. Down from the work area is Highway 140. That's a two-lane highway, kind of narrow. And right on the other side is the lake. So there's like the mountain, two lanes, lake. There's not a lot of land in between. Yep. Yeah. Coming down the hill from their work area, they came upon a gate. Leopard got out of the truck to remove the lock on the gate. While struggling with the lock, he noticed down a ledge in some, sick, in some thick trees, there was a yellow blanket on the ground. Based on the description of the area I mentioned before, this is a weird area to find a blanket, especially in December. So. Yeah. What's up with all these over- stories you have of people just in our area stopping and looking at shit on the side of the road? I know. <laughs> What's up with that? Uh, Maybe we're just nosy assholes. You don't know. Well, we definitely are, but I've never once thought... I've seen a lot of shit on the side of the road, and I've never once stopped to even look at it. So it makes you wonder. I've had a couple stories now where people have found something on the side of the road, and it led to a bigger discovery. Imagine how many people Mm. drive by this stuff. And they don't find anything because that little crucial 
crucial piece of information wasn't discovered because you drove by. That's terrifying. That's fine with me. I, I got enough going on right now. I don't, you don't need a you don't want to find investigation. That, yeah. I, well, you definitely wouldn't have <laughs> wanted to find this. Oh, so yeah. He walked over to the bundle and pulled the edge of the blanket back. He was shocked to see blood inside the blanket. He quickly returned to the truck and got Ken Murdoch. Ken Murdoch unfolded the rest of the blanket and saw a baby inside. Oh, wow. I can't even imagine what my God. It's like Superman. It's just you just find so a random baby in the crazy. middle of nowhere. Yeah. Initially, they believed the baby to be deceased as the coloring of the skin was white and blue and there was blood on the blanket. The men returned to their truck and radioed their company. This was, you know, in the 80s. So people didn't have cell phones. They had to use their truck radio and they called their company. They requested police be sent to the scene, but didn't say why due to what they had found. They didn't want to be broadcasting it over the radio waves like, hey, this is what we found. So they are just like, you need to send police out here. Can you just send police <laughs> yeah. out here? Right. <laughs> so their company calls 911 and requests assistance, not knowing, just going, hey, we need I got two guys on the mountain and they need some help. Shortly after the radio request, the men went back to the blanket and noticed one of the baby's eyelids moving. So he was not deceased. <sighs> yeah. That's fucking they rough. Yeah. They immediately realized the baby was barely alive and time was crucial. They grabbed the freezing wet blanket and frozen stiff baby. Murdoch wrapped the baby boy in his sweatshirt. They jumped in the truck, turned the heat to full blast, and started driving back to town because they were like, we can't wait. We got to go and get help. And help will meet us on the way. Ah, yikes. Uh, the men talked to the baby while they were driving, telling him it would be okay, but they thought in the back of their minds that it didn't look good. While headed towards town, they contacted their company again and explained what they had found. They requested an ambulance because they didn't believe that the baby would survive much longer. An ambulance was able to meet them on the route and get the baby medical assistance while continuing to the hospital. The baby was brought into the ER where staff was ready, but not optimistic, obviously, because... The baby's temperature was so low, the thermometer couldn't register it. Oh, Plus, wow. yeah. Jeez, Additionally, God. his heart had stopped and they were having difficulty getting an airway to get air into him because his jaw was so tight from the cold. So he's like frozen and everything's stiff. Yeah. It's crazy that he was still alive at that point. I I know. Well, his heart had stopped and they they just had to, they were like we got to do what we can do. 
Medical staff, however, was able to revive him, and a couple of hours later, he was transferred to the nursery. He was given the name, I'm not quite sure why they picked that name, Baby Benjamin, I'm not sure where they picked Benjamin, but they picked Baby Benjamin Kenneth after the two Kens that found him, Forrest, because he was found in the fen- in the forest. So Baby Benjamin Kenneth Forrest. Hmm. The town rallied around the little baby, making financial donations, bringing gifts and many visitors to the hospital, including the two Kens, who were told they were welcome to come visit at any time. By the end of the month, baby Ben was placed with his adoptive family. Over the years, Ben has stayed in touch with the men that rescued him and has even become a father himself. So, in honor of a Christmas miracle, God, I can't stop crying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I I lost my my mind. My camera's blurry right now, so I couldn't even tell that you were crying. (laughs) He said something. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, cut that out because I sound like a lunatic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to leave it in. (laughs) No. You got to cut it out. Uh, maybe oh, I will. Maybe I won't. We'll Jesus. <laughs> so in honor of the Christmas season, this is a semi-modern, because it was 1989, semi-modern day Christmas miracle story. And that is my that story was, of yeah. baby Benjamin. That's super cool. I Yeah. Those guys who found him, those construction workers are basically his dad's. <laughs> they they're they still able, in contact like, with him. Did he ever do like ancestry 21 and me or whatever the fuck? So the articles that I found were old articles from, you know, like I think the last one was like when he turned 30, which was, you know, 2019, so it's not super new, but um there wasn't anything that said anything about him finding his biological parents and if I were him I don't know that I would look honestly I I don't want to know just so uh, I don't know I guess the statue of limitations would probably be out so they couldn't do anything legally well for sure but I don't I don't know that I would want to know I I might just want to move past it like (laughs) something yeah. yeah, be like, hey, Jackass. Pull Tanya Harding. Oh, <laughs> another Oregon story. Maybe we'll cover that as a brutal. Oh, it is? Oh, um, coming up soon. Tanya yeah. Harding story. <laughs> that was Portland. She was in Portland. Shit. Yep. All right. Well. Tell me, tell me a story, Declan. All right. Uh, let me tell you about the Green River Killer. Okay. Yeah. I I feel like he's not as well known, but also that could just be me. I don't know. I, I think he's pretty well known. Okay. 
So Gary Ridgway was born February 18th, 1949 in Salt Lake City, Utah, to parents Mary and Thomas Ridgway. Gary was the middle child out of the three from the Ridgway family. He struggled with bedwetting until the age of 13, and according to Gary, his mother would yell at him and wash his genitals after each bedwetting episode. This led to Gary. This led Gary to have a relationship with hatred and sexual attraction to his mother. When Gary was 16, he lured a six-year-old boy into the woods where he stabbed the boy through the ribs, hitting his liver. How old? How old was he? He was 16, and he stabbed a six-year-old boy. The boy survived the attack. However, this would be just the first of Gary's taste of extreme violence. After graduating high school, he married his 19-year-old girlfriend and enlisted in the Navy. He spent some time in Vietnam and experienced some combat. Shortly after that, Gary married his second wife, Marsha Winslow. During his marriage to Marsha, Gary became very interested in religion and would often read the Bible aloud at work and home. However, the women in Gary's life claimed that he had an insatiable appetite for sex and would often demand it multiple times a day. When he couldn't get sex from his wife, he would find sex workers to fill his appetite. While married with Marsha, the two had a baby, who they named Matthew. Oh, I didn't know he had a kid. Yeah. Matthew Ridgway is his son. Sorry, go ahead. A few years after the birth of his son, women from Gary's area would begin to disappear. Gary would frequently engage in sexual activity with sex workers, and on July 8, 1982, Wendy Lee Cofield would be his first victim. To find his victims, he would travel along the Pacific Highway South and pick up either sex workers or young women who had run away from home. He sensed that they were nervous, so he would pull out a picture of his son to show them and to calm them down. Oh. Yeah. That's gross. After picking them up, he would engage in sexual activity before Gary would begin to choke them to death. Most of the murders took place in either Gary's truck, home, or secluded areas. After he murdered, he would typically dump the bodies in wooded areas around the Green River area. Occasionally, he would transport the bodies down to Portland, Oregon just to confuse the police and throw them off his trail a little bit. Jeez. He would typically pose their bodies in suggestive ways and would often return to the area to engage in necrophilia. Oh, gross. Yeah. Real upstanding citizen we got right here. Oh, God. After a few bodies had been discovered, the King County Task Force started investigating these murders and discovered some DNA from one of the crime scenes. John Douglas, who I mentioned previously on another episode about Wayne Williams. Oh, okay. Uh He's an FBI profiler who typically makes cases on serial killers. And 
he was tasked with making a profile for this killer in particular. <laughs> Shortly after this, Gary Ridgway's DNA was linked to four murders that happened nearly 20 years before he was arrested. Wow. It was believed that between 1982 and 1984, Gary was able to murder at least 71 women from the Seattle area. In how many years? Did you say two years? Two years. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh my Christ. On November 5th, 2003, Ridgeway entered a guilty plea to 48 charges of aggravated first-degree murder as part of a plea bargain. This plea bargain he agreed to was to spare him from the death penalty. Gary led prosecutors to three bodies in 2003. On August 16th of that year, the remains of a 16-year-old girl found near Enumclaw, Washington, 40 feet from State Route 410, were pronounced as belonging to Pammy Annette Event, who had been believed to be a victim of the Green River Killer. The remains of Marie Malvar and April Button were found in September 2003. Gary wow. confessed to more confirmed murders than any other American serial killer. Over a period wow. of five months of police and prosecutor interviews, he confessed to 48 murders, 42 of which were on the police's list of probable Green River killer victims. On February 2009-2004, county prosecutors began to release the videotape records of Ridgeway's confessions. In one taped interview, he initially told investigators that he was responsible for the death of 65 women. In another interview, he with a uh, in another interview with Rich Reichart, I think is how you pronounce his name, with Reichart on mm. December 31st, 2003, Ridgeway claimed to have murdered 71 victims and confessed to having had sex with them before killing them, a detail which he did not reveal until this sentencing. Wow. Currently, he sits at Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla and is the second most prolific serial killer in American history. Wow. I did not know a lot of the details of that. Yeah. That he's a super. Oh, one important detail I forgot to mention is that Gary had an IQ of around 83. Oh. Yeah. So he is a big dum dum. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he was he had a lot of victims for having that. Wow. Okay. A lot of his victims weren't discovered until they were skeletal remains, too. So mm. I think only four were discovered before he was uh arrested. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I oh I did not know there were that many victims. I knew there were a lot, but I didn't know it was seventy some. Well, Holy he claimed cow. to have killed so many that he lost count. So that's kind of why his count jumped between sixty five to seventy one. But 
He was like, he killed oh. a lot of people. That's for sure. I forgot. My bad. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Not a fun guy. No. No. Mm -mm. Yuck. So, well, Declan, my chaser this week is another TV show recommendation. This one is on Netflix. It is called 1899. And the description of this show is that in, there is a steamship of immigrants traveling from London to New York, and they get caught in a mysterious riddle after finding a second vessel adrift on the open sea. The mm. captain of the immigrant ship gathers a group of people that are on his ship to go investigate this second ship. And they find the ship is like, it looks like it's been completely abandoned. Like there's tables that are overturned and it's like dirty and stuff in there. And there's no one on board. Nobody. Mm. They don't see any bodies. They don't see anything until they find... A little boy locked in a cupboard from the outside. There's a little boy Shit. who's... The cupboard is closed, and there's a bar sticking through the handles so he can't get out. Damn. And they're like, ah, right. So, that is the show. I don't want to tell you any more because... It would be a complete spoiler, but it is it is a wild tale that gets you going and you're like, where the hell is this going and what is going on and how is this happening? <clears throat> it's pretty cool. So go check it out. 1899 on Netflix. So for my chaser, I will kind of connected to your chaser so oh. the person who directed 1899 he has an older show on netflix called dark and oh. it's about this german town where a uh, young boy goes missing and a lot of really weird stuff starts happening and there's this oh. mysterious cave that oh i don't really yeah. want to that's yeah. the same director? Same director, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, oh, my that gosh. Show, that show, yeah. That show I got was hooked crazy. on that show. Yes, A lot it of was. weird stuff happened in that show, too. So if you right. end up watching 1899 and you are upset that there's only one season, go try Dark. It's not the same show, but it might fill your cravings. So, Wow. What's really interesting about 1899 is that I, I'm not quite sure why they did this, but 
I think what I read was that they were trying to make the characters be as authentic as they would have been on that kind of ship. And so they have people from different countries, like, I don't know, Germany and people from England and people from Japan. And half of the people, their dialogue is dubbed over. So you can tell they're not speaking English, but mm. then some of the characters are clearly speaking English. Oh, that's weird. It it was weird well, and it kind of got me at first, but then it was like you didn't even notice it after a while. Yeah, the dubbing over in that guy's stuff is, you can only notice it if you're like intensely watching it, but it after two episodes, it goes away <laughs> and yeah. it's just a normal show. Have you seen Rain or The Rain? Is that the Stephen King one? No. Rain is about, it's like an apocalyptic thing where this rain starts and just kills a bunch of people. And can't remember what country it's in. But one of the main characters of that show is in 1899. He's oh. one of the main characters in 1899. So, hmm. yeah, I it's, think I'm thinking of fog. Yeah, or the that mist. Was a Stephen King show, the mist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mist. That's what it was. Yeah, I don't think I've seen yeah. the rain. The rain is it's really good too. Hmm. So okay, I'll check it out. Two yeah, yeah. Re show recommendations in one. There we go. Three show recommendations. In yeah, one. three. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> As if you people, as if everyone out there didn't have anything else to do, go watch more TV. Yep. That is your homework assignment. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks All for right. listening this week. Thanks for listening and supporting our podcast. We would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you want to give us a five-star rating, we would forever be grateful. You can contact us at our email via thebrutalandbizarre at gmail.com or on our Instagram at thebrutal underscore bizarre underscore boozy.